Hello and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm John Penry from Dairy Australia. In this episode, we share a dairy innovation webinar discussion about feed-based management research. Using digital technologies, this research can provide farmers with valuable information to help improve timely pasture management decisions. Dairy Australia's Liz Mann, Project Coordinator for Major Innovations, speaks with dairy feed-based researchers, Dr. Liz Morse-McNabb and Dr. Anna Thompson, about how the use of modern sensor technologies, delivering pasture biomass and nutritive data, is informing on-farm strategies for improving productivity from dairy foragers. Alrighty, so welcome everyone to April Innovation Webinar. Um, my name is Liz Mann and I'm the Project Coordinator coordinator for major innovations employed by Dairy Australia but working with the Victorian Dairy Innovation Agreement or what we call VDIA. Uh, the VDIA is a newly formed group that's the joint venture between Dairy Australia, Gardner Foundation and Agriculture Victoria to oversee the major dairy research projects of dairy bio and dairy feed base. We are joined by dairy feed base researchers Dr. Liz Morse-McNabb and Dr. Anna Thompson, and we are so pleased that they can join us, which is very exciting. <laughs> um, for the past five years, Liz and Anna have been working on the Pasture Smarts project, which forms just one of five projects that make up the work that is the dairy feed-based research. Um, so welcome, Liz and Anna. I'm so pleased to see you both, and um, thank you for being willing to join us today to talk about the research you've been working on for a while. No problem. So, with what's happened in the last five years, Liz and Anna, it must feel like a lifetime ago that you actually started working on this project. If we go right back to the beginning, what was the problem that you were setting out to solve at the beginning of the project all those years ago? Thanks, Liz. Thanks for having us here. And it's such a long time ago. It feels like a lifetime ago. It really does. But essentially, what we were trying to do was um, and the issue is still there, that pasture is a really cheap source of feed, but it's underutilised. And that's partly because it's just um, difficult to use. There's digital tools out there that are just difficult to measure and manage that pasture utilisation. And, you know, it's so important as the um, all of our feeding systems are becoming more complex and, and the whole uh, our daily activities are becoming um, more precious to us. So there's a real need for the that um, near real-time measurement of pasture mass and nutrient characteristics to enable that optimal feeding. So we wanted to look at a suite of technologies that could be used practically on farm, and we've worked at that paddock level, no plots. But uh, Anna might also have a comment. Yeah, I mean, I think if we think back five years, and even still today as well, uh, a lot of farmers are using visual observation of their paddocks, and that does take time out of the day to visit uh, the paddocks and see how they're going. And also, there's only a certain degree of accuracy that can realistically be achieved by just looking at something. Um, even looking at tools like rising plate meter, um, surveys show that not too many people are actually really using these tools. Um, the ones that are, well, they do report that they're very labour intensive um, because you do have to walk around your paddock using the tool manually to obtain a result. And even then, it's only one average for your whole paddock. Um, we were really interested five years back to say, um, to see if we could move more to mapping of biomass. And um, we saw that there was sensors available and coming onto the market and more and more all the time um, that were capable of doing this job. They just needed the proof of concept testing and calibration for our local environment. So, yeah. 
So you're right, pasture is our cheapest source of feed. And um, being someone who's worked in the Tassie industry for so long, I'm quite passionate about pasture and its utilisation. And, you know, it, it is the basis for our industry. What is it exactly? You've talked about sensors. What is it exactly that you've looked at to speed up that process of measuring and managing our pastures? So like Anna mentioned, that we've focused on sensors that can work at that paddock level. So it's not been plot-based work. It's all been um, thinking practically about how to use these things on farms. So we've got a bit of a suite of sensors. So we've used the sonar sensor that's mounted on a farm buggy. Um, and so sonar uses sound waves, and that's what we call an active sensor because it emits a pulse and then we record the time it comes back to us. We've also used um, a fixed six-band sensor that's mounted on the pole and that's for us mostly to look at changes over time so it's not super something it's not something you use necessarily on farm so much but it helps us understand those seasonal changes we've also looked at a five-band multispectral sensor mounted on a uov or a drone uh, a 12-band multispectral sensor that was mounted on the satellite so that's sentinel 2 satellite to be specific and uh handheld hyperspectral sensors now i'll let and it goes to the hyperspectral stuff, but just to clarify, um, multispectral usually means less than 20 bands and the bands are broad, whereas hyperspectral will commonly have hundreds of bands and they're narrow. And so hyperspectral sensors are all about that sensitivity to um, other more specific traits. Yeah, just to elaborate that on that a little bit, my own area of interest was very much in the nutritive characteristics of pasture. Um, so I don't believe that we should only be looking at biomass, uh, the nutrient, especially when we think about dairy production, which is so driven by the nutrition of the animal. We absolutely have to consider the nutritive characteristics of pasture. Um, so that's why I was interested in these hyperspectral sensors. They are so detailed in the information that they give. They can basically tell you about the chemistry of the plant, which is really amazing when you think about it. You can't just visually look at something and tell me how much protein it has, but this, these sensors can. Um, so really, really fascinating technology. Yeah. And the interesting thing too is in talking about this technology, it's not just ryegrass that you've been looking at over the last five years, is it? You, you've looked at others. We probably should be talking more forage than just ryegrass, really. Yeah, yeah, I can take that one, please. So um, we did start out by looking at perennial ryegrass, and especially for the first sort of years one to four of our five-year program, uh, we're heavily focused on perennial ryegrass. Obviously, we can't ignore perennial ryegrass. It's very much predominant um, feed around the state. But um, as the work has progressed, and we've definitely had more and more interest in alternative species, uh, looking to the north of Victoria, for example, there's now very heavy use of alternative species. So we didn't want to just stop at perennial ryegrass. Um, we actually finished our five-year program with a big experiment to test whether the calibrations that we um, actually made for perennial ryegrass were transferable to other species um, or whether we needed to perhaps calibrate again for new species. Um, like a big question in my mind is just how many times do we have to keep calibrating these technologies, right? Because yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of work. <laughs> um, and if we can use the same calibration data sets again and again, for different species, that, that's obviously powerful. Um, so yeah, we have been working on a project uh, about that. And some of our findings show that it's not always appropriate to apply a perennial ryegrass uh, algorithm that you've developed a calibration 
for up to other species, but it is possible to make broad calibrations that include samples of lots of different species and apply those. So you don't have to necessarily calibrate for every single new species that comes onto the market if you have broad-based calibrations. Um, that said, we did find that often the greatest accuracy was achieved by having specific calibrations for specific species. So really interesting piece of work that we did there uh, that covered Coxford, red clover, chicory, uh, a mixed paddock and also cranial ryegrass in that study. So really interesting. What have you used? You mentioned before you've got um, satellite. Um, you've what were they again? There was satellite. There was on bikes. There was all sonar, UAV. <laughs> What was that? Sorry, Anna. Sonar and UAV. That's yes. it. That's it. <laughs> um, so you've also mentioned, so we've worked with, you're working with these sensors. Is it possible to read nutritional value, Anna? Like you, you're quite passionate about that. Can you do it? Yes. Um, yes. So I think we, we've actually done a number of experiments on this. We started out with some pretty basic proof of concepts, like you say, can we do it? Um, it is a bit of a holy grail for anyone working the pasture, I think, to be able to get a real-time read of nutritive characteristics. And um, even right back in our first experiment, which was, I think, 2019, um, we did do some proof of concept that showed, yes, you can, uh, to within a certain level of accuracy. And at that time, we were working with a very expensive sensor that was basically a adaption of what you might find in a lab um, for doing nutritive characteristics. So um, we weren't necessarily suggesting that particular sensor was farm ready. It was more just to show, can we do it? And the answer was yes. Um, we then moved on from that experiment and we saw that there was obviously a need to find out if some more farm ready sensors could also um, tell us nutritive characteristics to within an accuracy that would be useful. Um, so we went on and assessed a range of three kind of off-the-shelf handheld uh, devices for their ability to tell us nutritive characteristics. And the good thing was that all of those sensors showed um, promise. There were some that were more accurate than others. In fact, the most accurate one was a really cool piece of tech, uh, which was a hyperspectral camera. Hyperspectral cameras are like some of the newest uh, tech in the hyperspectral space on the market. Used to be that hyperspectral sensors were just, you get one reading for the point that you're looking at, and it's just a line of data um, but these hyperspectral cameras are actually taking images and there's hyperspectral information in every single pixel of the image. And um, that in one of our most recent experiments has proved really, really powerful um, because you can actually take out anything that's not uh, the material of interest in the image. You can remove bare soil, for example, or any noise coming from um that sort of unwanted material. So we found that that camera was um, the best of the cheaper uh, range of hyperspectral sensors that we looked at. And we since continue to work with that camera and our hope is as we carry this on into future work to make it more and more automated end to end um, so that farmers can finally get the nutritive characteristics read out that they want. What's that camera used for in question without notice um what is that camera used for in normal day-to-day -day life like yeah yeah so a lot of the time we're working with sensors that are, we're not we're not designed for an agricultural purpose um so if you take the spec in iq camera which is the hyperspectral camera we've worked with as an example um that one well 
can be used for anything really the manufacturers don't specify but they do suggest for example it's useful for traceability of foods so for example if you had you know two apples and you weren't sure what varieties they were you could use the camera to tell you if they were the same variety or if there was differences uh, or you could point it at um, a tray of strawberries and see if one was uh, rotten or something like that so there's so many potential um, uses of a camera like this and uh, we're simply taking a generic tool and trying to suit it to an agricultural purpose purpose and that's actually the same with a lot of the sensors that we've used um, to like for instance the sonar sensor that we use probably was originally imagined to be put in a factory um, detecting say like passing parcels along a conveyor belt or something like that um, and the UAV you know probably more, more originally intended for building surveying and, and other tasks so um, lots and lots of examples where we've repurposed sensors that were generic initially. Yeah, wow. So what nutritive characteristics are you able to read? Yeah, we've actually focused on eight. Um, these eight we think are the most useful and common for um, ration software that dairy farmers would be using to try to um, create a balanced ration for their animals. So um, we've been looking at crude protein metabolizable energy, um, the two fibre fractions, ADF and NDF, uh, water-soluble carbohydrates, uh, non-fibre carbohydrates, and also dry matter, basically moisture, uh, which is a nutritive characteristic per se, but is important to know. Um, and I guess what we found is that you can predict some more accurately than others. So something like protein, um, which the chemistry of a protein, it's you know um, quite, quite well known. It's all about the nitrogen bonds. Um, and it just so happens that uh, these sensors are able to pick those uh, up really well. So protein is often one of the best predicted parameters. However, when we look at something like a uh, fiber, which, which is sort of like a a lot of different molecules it, it can be different uh, compositions and there can be a lot more noise when you're trying to pick up fiber in, in the plants so fiber is an example of something that's actually quite hard to predict so yeah it does range excellent so basically what you're looking at doing is changing um where farmers if they're interested in knowing what the quality is of the forage that they're working with they go out you have to take a pasture cut um or a cut you put in a bag you send it off to the lab you wait a couple of weeks by then you've grazed that paddock um and you've moved on and that's starting to regrow so the results then are, are very close to useless um you're trying to get it that it's more instantaneous can you get instant results is it possible Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, at the, I mean, yeah, wouldn't it be great to be able to be proactive rather than basically reactive to your nutritional information? Um, and yeah, I, I see that hopefully farmers will eventually be able to use these technologies to make on the day decisions. Um, first, understanding the nutritive characteristics of the pastures available and then sending the cows to specific paddocks, for example. Um, at, at the moment, you, you're asking, is there instant results possible? We're probably not quite there yet with the sensors that we have but it's definitely our goal to work towards that I mean realistically because these sensors were as I mentioned before generic off-the-shelf products for some other purpose uh, they don't really come with like data pipelines for the back end that just immediately gives you your results in terms of protein and 
fiber, uh, we as researchers basically have to fill in that gap and be the middlemen to translate that raw information from the sensor into the agricultural information that farmers want to know. Uh, and we haven't yet completely automated that process end to end, but it is um, definitely on, on the cards for our future work, something we're really keen to continue pursuing. Um, and ultimately, just manufacturers of these devices will likely be looking and seeing the potential for um, better and more intuitive sensors in this place. Now we've shown that they definitely work. Um, you know, it's, it's likely the industry itself may take up that challenge and create the perfect end-to-end -end sensor that's just specific for nutritive information. Yeah, perfect. Um, so how how do you see farmers using this sort of um, technology? So we're not, not just nutritive, but probably also the biomass work that you started out doing to make more profitable decisions. How can you see that? working yeah um so i think especially in the nutritive space i would see that there's a lot of room to improve thinking about pasture as basically one component of a total ration that you're feeding your cows and if you think about uh say people who do feed tmrs they will know the exact nutritive concentration of every single component of that tmr exactly and build their ration to have an exact amount of overall nutritive quality uh, and in the same way i'd like to see that these nutritive sensors are basically doing enabling you to do that and fill in the value for what your pasture the nutritive uh, characteristics of the pasture are going to be and basically create that ration and send your cows to the paddock that best matches those overall nutritive uh, requirements that you have for the diet. And in the same way with biomass, I think it's all about picking the right paddock to go to and using your resource efficiently uh, and even allocating it in the right place, like putting a fence line in the right place in the paddock, having taken into account where the pasture is high and where the pasture is low. Um, there's there's I would say a lot of efficiency improvements that could be made in terms of feeding efficiency uh, through those kind of practices, definitely. Excellent. So just thinking practically on farm as to how some of these could be applied, is this some, is the nutritive stuff in particular something that could be used to read silage quality? I mean, silage is something that we're always, I mean, we're always telling farmers buy on quality, you need to have quality five, you know, five silage. For your summer period and that's is this something that could be used there in the future yeah i would definitely say so uh it's not actually something that we have been looking at in our research project but the background of these technologies they're all essentially portable near infrared spectrometers and near infrared spectrometry or nirs is actually the exact same technology that people are using in the labs when you do send off your silage for a lab uh, test so there's really no reason why if something's going to work for grass it wouldn't work for silage um but it's the job of the researcher to sort of go out and build a big calibration set and then basically find the model that teaches that sensor how to turn that spectral reading into a nutritive um, quality readout but yeah there's there's been so much work on NRS as a technology and silage in the past that I think that would be um, very plausible yeah watch this space in other words Anna <laughs> um so Liz mentioned before that you haven't done you know plot work with this you've done bigger stuff so how do you know like have you taken this technology on farm and tried it or is it only being paddock size how big have you taken it yeah so all of our work's been on working farms so all of the models that we've developed um and all the field work calibrations that we've collected have been 
fitting in amongst that standard daily activity on farm. So no, no curated beautiful plots here, just fitting in with the daily schedule. Um, we've always worked at multiple paddocks across multiple farms. Um, we had 21 partner farms throughout the project over time and um, that was all for biomass that we had a few less for the, the nutritive characteristics but even so they were all working farms so um, I think we can say that they do fit into a real farm environment. Yes and you're able to get real results. Please. Real results. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Something we always want. Um, so if you've been able to prove that it works on whole of farm how is it that farmers might be able to use this technology going forward so like is this stuff farmer ready now or is there still a step between now and and when we'll see it actually yeah, on farm? yeah so there's sort of a couple of there each of we tested so many sensors that actually they're all at different stages so um and different stages for biomass and nutritive characteristics. So a couple of examples that I could give for biomass, I'll let Anna speak to the nutritive characteristic samples. But for example, the um, sonar sensor. So it's simple and effective. It, you know, we've shown that it works. Um, as we've spoken, we've used just off-the-shelf technology, but our particular framework and mechanism has been quite scientifically um has we've used that sort of scientific perspective, so highly accurate logger boxes and all that sort of thing. So even though we've proven that it works, it would actually need some more refinement to get to the farmer level for that particular technology. For the satellite um, work, that's sort of an alternative example. Um, this is something that's ready to go. We've used all of our ground data collected across all of our farms. Um, We've got really accurate and robust biomass estimates and we can calculate them automatically every time we get a cloud-free image now. So um, that's a, like a completely opposite example. And I mean, the, they both show that um, they give an example sort of of a, an on-farm farmer using technology example and then an off-farm information view coming in. And it's really that off-farm information view coming in where we've actually developed some extra digital products, so um, pushing the outputs through an application, for instance, an, an app. So, And that sort of started just because it had to during COVID times um, when we needed to get information out to farmers that we couldn't actually get to them. We developed a prototype app at that time and sort of um, to push our information back to the farmers. And it's got a lot of attention and momentum. And so now we're progressing into the second stage prototype with that. Oh, cool. Before I'll come back to that app. Anna, <laughs> did you want to um, just talk about how ready the the um, nutrient sensors are for farmers? Yeah, I think the ones we've been working with, um, possibly the sort of technologies could be five to ten years from being absolutely farm ready um, and, and well utilised and uptaken um, but we, we're so close and there are new sensors coming to the market every day which make the process more streamlined um, quicker and easier and cheaper as well so um, it's definitely it's not far off um, and because we're providing that proof of concept um, hopefully manufacturers just see the value in this space and keep bringing out more and more useful versions of these sensors for farmers. Yeah. Excellent. So a little bit of time. Let's not get too excited. Is that what we're trying to say here? We're close. <laughs> yeah, close. Yeah, so far. Um, okay, so Liz, you mentioned the app, and I always like hearing that because it is something that um, 
as someone who's, as I've talked to farmers, I've heard about it. App development is not something that I am across and I'm sure it's not easy. So do you just want to talk us through where the app is at and, you know, what we might expect to see going forward? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first and foremost, taking uh, research products, uh, even one that is automated and pretty well defined in sort of research terms to that commercial always on 24-7 delivery is a massive undertaking and uh, I have learned so much over the last two years. Like honestly, I wish I'd known half of it when we started developing this prototype further. It's It truly is uh, a huge undertaking. Having said that though, it's it's something worth investing the time and energy into learning because it I think now that I know what I know, it's important that people in the industry create applications for the industry. You don't just get sent something that's not real, not defensible, and doesn't give you what you need. So um, it's it, it's a different perspective that I have now. But in terms of what we've learned um, just to develop it, so um, there's you know, the volumes of data that you're talking about moving from just 21 lovely partner farmers to potentially hundreds, thousands, is it's different. You have to think in completely different ways, setting up all of those data connections, contracting develop software developers. I've learned a whole new language and so many different software programs just so that I can talk to software developers, for instance. Um, subscription services, understanding what that means and all of the data privacy assessments. Like we we absolutely don't want to have anyone's data have any kind of issues like we've seen in the news recently. So, I mean, all of that stuff, it takes time and energy. So uh, the app has been heard about a lot and you haven't seen a lot and that's why. It, to, to generate something that is always on, always reliable. You can be sure that your data is private. You can be sure that we're capturing and delivering what you want. It takes time to build. Um, so, and the, the key learning I've had recently is that if you you get one opportunity to get this to market, um, when we were testing the prototype, there was lots of clunky, glitchy bits of it in it and people, they didn't like it and they were happy to tell us and I'm always happy to get that feedback. But um, when you go to that real next level of a commercial app, you've got one chance before people switch off. So that's another sort of uh, interesting sort of marketing sort of idea that I've got now in my head. Um, so... I mean, our aim is to be just one of those apps that just catch on immediately but because they've got the right science behind it. It's trustworthy. It does what you want it to do. Um, it looks good. It's easy to use. So on the moment right now, we're really at the pointing end of doing a whole lot of user testing. So if uh, it just, you know, if it's not obvious what that button is or if it's not obvious where to go, then it's not good enough and we try and fix it. So um, we're getting there and it's been a huge journey. Excellent. Now, um, I'm sure there's going to be lots of questions about this app, Biz, but we might park it there because I, for the minute, we will come back to them, everyone, I promise you. Um, <laughs> but we honestly, I feel like we could spend an entire webinar talking about this app and everything that's gone into it. Um, 
But what we really need to focus on around this is that the research that's going into the back end of this app is something that is a leap forward in forage measuring and management um, for the longer term. So, yeah, did you, either of you two want to comment about that? Yeah, look, I really like, to, I really absolutely want to just reinforce how an amazing job the team has done and the work that we've done in past just months. Uh, obviously, I'm biased, but it's transformational. Um, we've completed a massive amount of work, assessed a full range of sensors, looked at biomass and nutrient characteristics, collected almost 4,000 samples of biomass alone. And I think it was close to 800 for alternative species recently. And that's meant that what we've created is robust, defensible models so that can work on real farm environments. And I mean, not only that, we've published all of our work in a range of journals. Um, so it's it's been a, a full research program and um, very much transformational work. Let Anna comment too. <laughs> I think I just couldn't agree more. It's often easy to look at the outputs as being the shiny apps and so on, but the the real output has been the work gone into the calibration uh, of the sensors, and that has been a huge undertaking. And um, one has made all of these shiny outputs possible. So. Yeah. Beyond the app, is there ways farmers might see this technology? becoming available to them in the near future? Uh, so from Pasture Smarts, not directly, but there's sort of other ways that we're, that it can influence sort of technology change. Um, so I yeah, know. I think, I think yeah. Um, even if you just think about the models that we've yeah. created, so every, all the pasture samples goes into a modelling effort and it's these models that allow the raw output of sensors to be turned into useful information. Uh, just that calibration data set alone is hugely valuable. Those models might in the future go on to be taken up by industry and actually used, you know, to make these sensors that immediately give you the output that you want. Um, so I think there is, and, and not only that, but also the, just the knowledge that we've gained on how to use sensors on your farm, what fits best with the farming practice, in what scenario do you want to do this or this? And hopefully just some of those things are just going to help farmers ease that transition into this new digital age by making sure they're making sound investments in technologies that are actually going to work for them. Um, so I think there's so many ways that we do. Uh, our work is going to be really influential um, both now and in the future. Yeah, it's not, not, just, um, not just the outputs, but the knowledge gained. Yeah, excellent. So what we might do, uh, we might just remind everyone at this point in time that they can pop questions in the Q&A chat um, for us to see. And I see there is a couple that have been popped in there already. While people are thinking about questions and typing them in, one question, we've talked about these commercially available sensors. We haven't talked about dollars. How expensive are these sensors <laughs> before you get us all too excited? <laughs> I mean, it, it really does range quite significantly. Um, like one thing I just want to say is that we mostly try to situate all our work in things that farmers 
you know, were likely to eventually use. Um, we tried not to ever work with something that we thought was completely out of the price range of farmers. Um, that said, the sort of technologies we've used have ranged from below $1,000 in the case of, say, our sonar sensor, up to about the $30,000 range for some of our more fancy hyperspatial cameras and that kind of thing. And the UAV work, they come in somewhere in the middle. Um, so something like the satellite, it's worth uh, mentioning that the satellite data feed is actually free, um, but there's um, still going to need to be the, the middleman of the app to translate that data feed <laughs> into uh, into the farmer's information. So Lisa, I don't know if you want to comment on what kind of price point that might be. Yeah, so the, I mean, the app, the idea is that it'll be a subscription kind of scenario, as most apps are. Um, we're doing a whole lot of work still to try and match it to basically return on investment on farm. It's not going to be, it's not intended to be a huge money maker. It's about providing um, real investment for those users. So, and essentially to make it self sustainable, just enable the, the support of all of that back end uh, middleman work, as Anna put it. Okay. Well, thank you, um, Liz and Anna. I always enjoy chatting with you both um, and hearing how, you know, what you're doing and how we can speed up our forage measurement and understanding exactly what we're feeding our cows into the future. So that's fantastic. Um, if anyone would like further information about Pasture Smarts, you can check out the Dairy Feed Base website, um, dairyfeedbase.com.au. And as I wrap up, we just should note that uh, dairy Bio and Dairy Feed Base are a joint venture between Dairy Australia, Agriculture Victoria and Gardener Foundation um, who fund all of the research. So thanks heaps, Liz and Anna, and thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you. If you would like to find out more about the Pasture Smarts research or other dairy feed based research projects, visit www.dairyaustralia.com.au forward slash herd and feed innovation. We have also placed a link in the episode notes. We hope that you have enjoyed this Dairy Pod episode and if you have any suggestions or ideas for future episodes, you can get in touch by emailing us at dairypod at dairyaustralia.com.au. Thanks very much and bye for now.